Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and this week we're going to talk about transformational change with a twist actually with a pizza shaped twist I understand. I am delighted to have Ian Ziskin with me today he's the president of Edexcel and he is the lead author of The Secret Source for Leading Transformational Change a really intriguing title so Ian thank you so much for joining me. Great to be with you Lucinda thank you for having me. So before we go into understand a little bit about um, your book and and some top tips within it, uh, do you want to just give us a little bit of an introduction as to your background and how you came to be lead author on this, this topic? Sure. Thanks for asking. I've been in the, the human resources and leadership game now for a little over 40 years. My career is, I uh, say, divided into two separate but very related chunks. The first 28 years of my career I worked for uh, large companies, uh, primarily in human resources. Toward the latter part of my corporate life, I was the chief HR officer for two companies, most recently a company called Northrop Grumman, which is in the aerospace and defense business uh, in the U.S., but also with uh, presence all over the world. And uh, then about 12 years ago, a little more than 12 years ago, I launched my own coaching and consulting firm which is a portfolio of a variety of different things, coaching, leadership development, and some other uh, pieces, uh, but also involves uh, a high interest in this topic of leading transformational change, uh, which then in turn you know, led me over the course of this past year or so to uh, become the lead author of this book. Great. So, well, I can see the qualification. You're well qualified for this topic then. So you'd called it the secret source, um, and I was intrigued by this because I know you've got a number of top tips and I'll ask you to share some in a moment. But there's also an analogy of it, a change in pizza was what I picked up on from your colleague. Do you want to explain what that's all about? Uh, certainly. So, um, you know, one of the things that you begin to learn when you put a book like this together is there, there's a certain danger that comes with uh, tradition and longstanding success in anything. Uh, and I think that also applies to uh, pizza as a food uh, and as an industry. So when I was taking a look at uh, some examples uh, that could help people really get their arms around some of the concepts in the book, uh, began to look at pizza, which you know took us all the way back to the year 997 AD, uh, when pizza was first thought to be invented in Gaeta, Italy. And uh, you fast forward over uh, many years since that point, 
Uh, it turns out uh, when you look at pizza as a food and as an industry, it has been reimagined, repositioned uh, in many ways in order to remain uh, relevant. You know, now we find ourselves current day uh, pizza is about a $150 billion global industry. Uh, I was surprised to learn uh, in doing some of my research that uh, unlike what I thought, that pizza would be the uh, per capita highest consumption uh, in the United States, it turns out that actually Norway uh, is the country uh, with really? the largest per capita consumption of pizza in the world. So that was a little bit surprising. Not Italy but, then. Yeah. Now, it also turns out, though, uh, if you think about it in terms of sizes, shapes, toppings, cheeses, crusts, uh, access uh, options and uh, preparations, as well as uh, various secret sauces that people have begun to put on uh, pizza, uh, it's morphed in, in many ways. You know, pizza is no longer pizza, just like individuals are no longer individuals and teams are no longer teams the way we used to think of them, uh, similarly with organizations and, and even societies that we take a look at in the, the book. And so uh, for me, uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, in the book is, uh, believe in yourself. If uh, cauliflower can become pizza, you can become anything. Uh, and it's really a situation of recognizing that longstanding tradition and practices that we use in our personal lives and in our organizational lives uh, are no longer quite often relevant for the changing environment around us most of those things we don't control, but many of those things we have to uh, adapt to over time if we're going to continue to compete uh, and win uh, in the game of life or, or in the game of business. Uh, and that's why pizza became, uh, as I called it, a pizza analogy in the, in the book, because it really illustrates the need to morph and change repeatedly over many years in order to remain relevant. And, and I guess then, where, where we're taking this is in terms of mainly organizational change in terms of your book, as opposed to sort of personal change and things in, in there. Yeah, actually, as it turns out, uh, because we have quite a few contributors to the book, which I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that in a second, we've looked at leading transformational change through a variety of lenses, the individual lens, the team lens, the organizational lens, and to a lesser degree, but still included, uh, the implications for society as well. And so uh, some of the principles that we focused on and, and learned about and wrote about in the book have applicability to change individual team, organizational and societal levels. Uh, makes sense. So um, do you want to talk about, before I ask you some sort of top tips, of, I'm sure you can't give away all of those, but to give us a few of your top tips um, to give us a flavor of the book, did you want to comment a bit more on your the people who contributed and the different, um, how, how you selected them and the different. Certainly, yeah, I'm often asked the question, given the fact that there are many books out there on, on change and, and transformation, how might this one be different? Uh, I think there's a, a couple of ways I would point to that. Uh, I'm, I become fond of referring to the book as 200 voices and under 200 pages, because uh, what we've managed to do here is write a book that's not just Ian's view of the world as it relates to leading transformational change. We've had quite a few contributors to the book uh, who've written essays on their particular lens 
and perspective on transformational change. And we also incorporated quite a bit of input. There are a lot of voices uh, included in the book, uh, many of which are mutually reinforcing. So there's a lot of consistency of themes, but we also have uh, some differences of opinion and divergent views. And I think that diversity makes it a little bit richer than if I had just written a book uh, about leading change myself. Uh, and then the other thing I think which makes it a little bit unique is that it's all uh, in under 200 pages, you know, as our publisher has reminded us and lots of other people have as well, it's getting more and more difficult for people to read books these days. So yeah. 350 or 400 page book, while there are many good ones uh, out there and available, it's getting harder for people to make the time to make their way through all of that. Uh, and so we tried to be brief uh, and practical uh, as well. Yeah, it's like an airport type book. Um, I, yeah, the publisher, um, I, I did book on change and she said, no one no one thanks you for a longer business book, basically. It's uh, yeah, concise and get the message over quickly. And actually that links on, doesn't it? So you, within it, you've got your sort of 10 elements of your secret source. So you've kind of got these 10 approaches. If I was to say, um, yeah, could you select, I don't know, three to five, the most important ones, or the, the most useful ones for my audience, um, and perhaps take us through a few. Yeah, yeah. So let's um, maybe I'll, I'll list off a few. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll come back and explain a little bit more about each one. Uh, the very first one that that we include in the in the list in the book uh, is really all about start with truth, talent, and timing. That's the first one. And I'll come back and explain that in a second. Uh, another one that I think would be relevant for your audience to know about uh, is what we end up describing as go first, but not alone. A third one that I think is particularly relevant here is what I ended up calling define, align, and refine the what and why. And then the fourth one maybe we'll use for purposes of today is what I describe as love of influencers and resistors. And now let me go back and dive in a little bit more deeply on each of these just to kind of illustrate the, the main points for the listener's benefit. The very first one, start with tr truth, talent, and timing, uh, actually comes up very early in the book, in the foreword of the book written by uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Ron Sugar, who was my boss uh, when I was the chief HR officer for Northrop Grumman, he was the CEO, uh, but he's also a very active board member these days on companies like Apple, Amgen, Uber, and Chevron. So he's got you know very broad perspective on different uh, companies and industries dealing with large scale transformational change. And one of the things that he talks about in the book is the importance of starting with truth, which means define reality. You know, the situation is what it is. We are where we are, you know, as an individual or as an organization. There's a tremendous amount of wasted energy uh, that people display uh, and that organizations also display in denying data and uh, basically explaining away things that do not reinforce our preferred view of the internal and external environment. Therefore, extremely important if you're going to successfully lead transformational change to begin with the truth. You know, where are we uh, as an individual 
uh, or as an organization. And you know, data helps with that, but but so does you know in your head understanding and in your heart understanding uh, what we're really facing. Uh, second piece is talent, meaning that uh, you've got to surround yourself with really good people who are going to help you drive the change. Uh, because as we'll talk about in a minute, you're not going to do it by yourself. Uh, and then the final point uh, related to truth, talent, and timing, the timing piece has a lot to do with the importance of speed and getting up and running to get some traction to make things happen. Generally speaking, most successful change efforts are going to involve moving at a speed that feels uncomfortable. It feels less comfortable than what you've historically been doing. And coupled with that, you know, is this realization that very rarely, if you talk to a leader who looks back on some large scale change, or frankly, even if you speak to an individual who looks back on some significant change that they've gone through personally, very rarely will they tell you, I should have moved more slowly yeah. And longer to make it happen. You know, typically they'll say, I didn't move quickly enough. I wasn't assertive enough. I wasn't decisive enough. I should have moved out more quickly. So truth, talent, and timing, uh, really important places to start. That's one element of the, the secret sauce that I mentioned. Uh, a second one is the element that we called go first, but not alone, which really builds on this concept of successful transformational change starts with leaders, they set the tone, they're role models, they provide an example. Uh, one of the, the favorite pieces of input that we got for the book that really resonated with me was somebody who said, transform yourself before trying to change others, right? All of those things are important in leading transformational change. You have to go first, but you're not going to go alone. Uh, you do, in fact, have to surround yourself with other people who understand what's being asked of them, can contribute to the success, uh, minimize some of the resistance where you can, uh, and negative friction, because it's too difficult, too complicated, uh, too exhausting, frankly, to lead transformational change if you try to do it all by yourself. Uh, the third example that I listed earlier was what we call define align and refine the what and why. And this is all about uh, you know, understanding and setting the vision for and the important need for change, but also every step of the way, making sure that you've got uh, alignment and shared understanding and everybody's on the same page, marching generally in the same direction as much as you can but finally, uh, refining the what and why uh, as you progress, because very rarely does the plan that you started with end up being the plan that's implemented deep into uh, the change effort. So there's a constant sense of refinement, agility, making adjustments, getting feedback, understanding what's working, uh, and then making some change along the way in order to get to the bigger change. That's a very um, key point, isn't it? That the, the, because you, you, however great your vision, there will be obstacles along the way. There'll be um, things that you didn't, you weren't aware of, things that you had, you'd overlooked. So just being 
having a level of flexibility to refine the plan to keep keep momentum and to refine it rather than say oh no stop and throw it off in the air and give up um yeah that's that's right one of one of my other favorite quotes that i put in the book was uh from mike tyson the heavyweight boxer who was being interviewed this is a number of years ago uh, in advance of a heavyweight bout and the member of the media who was interviewing him asked him what his strategy was for fighting the fight. And his response was, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think, you know, most individuals and teams and organizations and even societies are getting punched in the mouth constantly. The last couple of years of COVID may be a perfect example of this. And you you have to make adjustments along the way. That's why being in touch with reality is so important. But it's also why having the agility and and the sense of flexibility that's needed to recognize that the conditions around you are changing and you need to make adjustments along the way. Otherwise, you'll never get to the end goal. Uh, And that also links with your point earlier, think about timing and and having a uh, level of pace and urgency to keep to keep you going, because if things stop changing, you stop and and look around for too long. You've got to have that sense of momentum and urgency just to keep knocking things over, to keep making progress. Uh, yeah, sure. And and one of the one of the very important reasons why that's actually so true, Lucinda, is the uh, final point that I wanted to share from the secret sauce was this idea of love influencers and resistors, mm-hmm. which ties in really uh, specifically to what you were just saying. Uh, you know, most people who drive change tend to gravitate toward other people who have their shared view yeah. are supportive, right? And many of those people can in fact be influencers in the organization because they're respected, because they've been around for a while, because they have willingness to say what they think. And in many cases, because they're in leadership positions, but not all of them are. Sometimes they might be individual contributors who are great at what they do and are therefore highly respected in the organization, everybody's looking to them to decide whether, you know, we should be supportive of or perhaps resistant to uh, the change that's being asked of us. But generally those influencers are thought to be people who are going to be more supportive than not. Well, it turns out there's also usually a fair number of resistors. These individuals may also be very influential. Uh, They just may be more skeptical and they may be willing to ask questions that no one else is willing to ask or to push back on some of the assumptions. Uh, And what happens quite often uh, with those individuals is the tendency is to marginalize them, push them aside, perhaps dismiss their point of view, uh, maybe even treat them as stupid or disloyal because they've They've been asking tough questions, uh, which then, you know, undermines, of course, their ability to uh, push back. Well, it turns out that both resistors and influencers are really important in successfully leading transformational change and better to embrace both, understand their perspective, get the diversity of thinking that we so often, you know, say we we covet, but don't always behave like we really do. Um, and you end up in, in the end with a better solution, 
having better anticipation of some of the problems and issues and obstacles that you're going to have to overcome if you love both the influencers and their resistors. Yeah, it's all like facing up to it, isn't it? Because sometimes, obviously, it would be easier if everybody wants to go along with things, but um, it's not realistic. And often those people who are pushing back, they're only voicing um, what others are perhaps thinking but not saying. So at least if you can get those people to share what their concerns are and what the issues are, you can address it, can't you? You can actually do something about it, which makes the change more likely to stick. Then you've got lots of people passively you know, nodding, nodding and saying yes, but actually behind the scenes digging their heels in and, and not doing anything. So right. I think that's a really, really valid one in terms of telling people. I talk, I think about that in terms of people going through the change curve and actually encouraging people to um, ask, you know, silence is not a good thing in change. And, and you can mistake people who've been quiet for being committed to the change when in actual fact they may just be avoiding it and hoping it will go away. And that's when it takes us very forever, doesn't it? Well, so. as, you know, as the lead author of this book, I... I, I learned a lot, you know, in writing the book. I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you write a book, you know, hopefully you have something new to teach or share with other people. But I'm also equally a firm believer that you should learn something, you know, as somebody who's who's writing the book. And there were a number of ahas for me, things that I personally learned, one of which ties directly into what we were saying you know, quite often, uh, every book I've ever read on leading change or or transformation has some kind of nod to the question of, is it really true that people hate change, you know, or, or do they actually like and embrace it? And, you know, my own takeaway from writing this book, uh, I hope it doesn't sound too cynical, is I actually think that most people actually do hate change because it, it brings a lot of risk and un uncertainty and discomfort. But what I also learned beyond that is the only thing that people hate more than change is failure. And so if you can appeal to people's you know, personal desire and organizational desire and need to win uh, and be a winner as, as an individual and be on a winning team and be part of a winning organization, it dramatically improves the ability to uh, over time, persuade people that many of the, the changes that you're asking them to adopt and embrace are actually worth the pain and discomfort, because usually there is pain and discomfort yeah. that comes with change. People hate that part, but I think they hate the failure or potential for failure much more. Uh, and they have this very strong desire, I have found. Uh, to win and be part of a winning team and organization, that gives you some hope that if you can appeal to that desire to win, you can overcome some of the resistance that comes from hating or fearing change. That's interesting. I haven't come across that before. And that does make sense in terms of when you're communicating the why the change needs to happen, where you have, may have data and facts as to where you are currently and maybe the risk of failure if we if we don't change um, in terms of creating maybe a burning platform type approach. Or, but you're, you're motivating people as to why why it's so important to to make that change to go through the pain of of actually doing it i there was a quote i can't remember who it was that who said that people don't hate change but they hate change being done to them and i think that also links very much with your point about you know 
go first, not first, but not alone, but also about talent. So you can't do it on your own. Um, and, and you need so so if we can involve people and help them understand why it needs to be done, then then you're taking them with you, them as well, and they're brought into the change. They feel part of it, and they're much more likely to um, be motivated to change. Yes, I think all all that is right, or at least it's consistent with my experience. So we're either both right or we're both wrong, but (laughs) it it is very consistent. It's also uh, consistent with something else that uh, picked up in in pulling the book together, which is this really important need to be able to reconcile competing priorities and master paradox. Now, there are seven of them that I wrote about in the book, but I'll just mention one or maybe two now, particularly one that really uh, very closely connects to what you were just talking about, Lucinda, and that is the need to reconcile facts and feelings. Because, you know, most change efforts, particularly if it started at the top of the organization, tends to be kind of a clinical assessment, you know, using data and facts about why the need for change. And those facts and data are, you know, extremely important, but they're usually not enough. And as we were talking about earlier, people have this miraculous capacity, I think it's called human nature, to deny and deflect all of this data that doesn't meet their perceived uh, preferences in terms of uh, what's going on internally or externally, as I was talking about earlier. So having facts and data to rely on that makes it a compelling reason to change something, uh, it's really valuable, but never works without also appealing to uh, feelings because you're dealing with human nature and human beings where it has to kind of register with you in your head and in your heart that something's got to be done differently. One example I I give in the book, which I think most people seem to relate to quite well, is, you know, so many people around the world at one point or another in their lives might say, it's time to lose weight, maybe, right? You know, I get on the scale, staring back at me is irrefutable data that I probably could lose some weight. Yeah. However, staring at the scale and looking at the data without diet and exercise, you know, the two things generally thought to be most uh, successful to contribute to losing weight and maintaining that weight loss is all about what's in your head and in your heart. You know, what comes from you internally, are you motivated to do it or not? Just getting on the scale and staring at the data won't change a thing in terms of your weight. And similarly, in organizations and big, long-term successful transformational change, staring at data that tells you something needs to be done, but doing nothing beyond that to appeal to the feelings and the sense of personal motivation and commitment to the individuals who are part of the organization. If you don't have that uh, combination and you're not successful at reconciling those competing priorities, it's gonna be a real uphill climb to make success. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, in terms of driving these things forward, you 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 you've always got those dilemmas, haven't you? In terms of, I think it's the um, even looking at the data, it's the same with your weight loss analogy. You've got to have that vision of seeing yourself or seeing the organisation, seeing yourself in that 
slim fit, whatever the, the vision is, you've got to have that, the data, but also the vision as to what the, the way forward, which provides some of that motivation too, doesn't it? Um, and again, keeps the momentum to create create it something you, you have, because it's not easy. So you need to have that strong vision to, to be able to keep momentum and move things on. Ian, thank you so much for joining me on the HR at Rising podcast. If people wanted to reach out to you, obviously I assume they can get your book on Amazon. Um, if they wanted to link in with you, how would they find you? Thank you for asking. And yes, they can find the book on Amazon. They can also find it at our uh, book-specific website where they can learn more about the book, its contents, the authors, myself, but they can also the, order the book at a significant discount. That website is www.transformationalchangebook.com. Brilliant. Okay, and, and I'll put the link on our show notes as well so people can just go and get the link straight off. Great. And then they can get hold of you. What's is, is that through the same a similar website? Is that your they can also find me on the website? Uh, but uh, if they want to get a little bit more direct, uh, just email is perfect. I Ziskin Z-I-S-K-I-N at exexgroup.com. Brilliant. So it's been lovely talking to you. Wish you lots of success with the, the book and um, fascinating actually in terms of the, the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you having me. Thanks, Lucinda. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.